Romantic relationships can be a minefield, but when things go wrong, are you the one who will walk away with your head held high? Or do you stalk and harass your ex-partner to such an extent you get arrested and ruin your future career? The solution to your predicament is obvious. You hire a hitman. This is the case of Valerie Busick McDaniel and Leon Jacob, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I am Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. Uh, the answer was the first one. Was it? Yeah, you walk away with your head held high and be normal, not uh, try to kill someone. Oh, <laughs> sorry, what? my brain was somewhere else at that precise moment in time when you yeah, actually said what that. Did, what did you think I meant? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Do you A, be normal or do you B, be the subject of a podcast? Yeah. Is A. There's uh, so much going on with this lot. I found this one when I was looking into angels of death type things. And I got wondering about professionals in so-called caring capacities. So when I refer to Valerie as a vet, I actually mean a veterinarian, not a military vet. Yeah, depending on where you're from, that would yeah. mean too big. Over here, it's not being a vet isn't as big a deal as America. No, no you you would you wouldn't say you would say somebody's oh they're ex-military. Ex, ex, yeah, ex-army. Yeah, yeah. So, or yeah, whatever. There are no actual murders this week. It's a murder for hire with a double twist. Unusual so, for us, I know. Yeah, we're Murder Me Monday podcast, or just Monday, apparently. On this There's week, no Monday, yeah. Okay. There are a boatload of conspiracies, and as such, it rather reads like a film script or a book. And if you do want to dig into it, there is an awful lot more out there. We have a few very well-educated and connected people involved in this, and it doesn't make them immune from doing stupid things. I even have one of those involved LinkedIn profiles. You can often find people that are very intelligent will do the most stupid thing because mm. they think it's correct, so they have more more justification for doing it. So it's especially stupid. Mm-hmm. So the LinkedIn profile is actually in the show notes, and it did make me laugh. It's rather inappropriate, um, but it's, it means you should be careful who you would connect with on a professional networking tool, I think. so. I also watched hours and hours of YouTube videos of Leon's trial read the comments, which were golden, to get a better feel for these people. I believe there's also an episode of 48 Hours that covers this, but I didn't watch it, and I'd had a stomach full after watching the trial, to be honest. So let's begin with what I do know about the backgrounds of the main people, and we are off to the great state of Texas, specifically the city of Houston. Valerie Busick. Can you name another city in Texas? Dallas. Dallas, Fort Worth. Um... When someone says Texas, I just think of Houston. Yeah, Galveston. Okay, okay. I had that. I only know Galveston because this is his one. Yeah. Yeah. Mother is Carol, a psychologist, and father is Don, a licensed counsellor. Can't find any trace of any siblings. They all live in Houston. Valerie graduated in 1997 and got married the same year to Marion McDaniel III. No surprise, he's called Mac. And in 2000, opened a veterinary clinic in Houston with a husband. And he actually worked at the clinic as an office manager receptionist type role. 2011, they have a child, a girl. But in December 2014, Valerie files for divorce, citing infidelity. She moves with her daughter to Willowick Condominiums, a luxury high-rise in one of Houston's upscale neighbourhoods called Montrose, leaving the ex behind in the family home in Galveston, which is roughly about an hour's drive away, so easier to get to work, I would expect. One thing about where she moves to, 
Her father and her mother lived in that building. I believe they owned the condo, so she wasn't homeless, even though the ex actually got the house in the divorce. Valerie, obviously, as a vet, is the money earner, and the divorce is very, very contentious. The divorce papers are in the show notes, people. She accused him of fraud. Apparently, he was spending money he wasn't earning rather freely in casinos and on other women. And she had to buy her ex out of the business and hand over a $720,000 waterfront home on Tiki Island in Galveston. That actually, that divorce actually cost her to the tune of $1.25 million overall. And she hadn't paid it off by the time all of this comes about. It wasn't a simple divorce due to child custody and the amount of money involved. She needed a lawyer. And lucky for her, a lawyer lived next door in these new fancy condominiums. You know, usually my response is someone's socioeconomic background. Again, I tend to repeat it a lot because I do think, again, the driving factor. She was a successful veterinarian, a lot of money, divorce in the millions of dollars. Yes. She's moved into a new community rather than being around people like, you know, like especially drug dealers or people that don't work or people that are violent. She's surrounded by uh, lawyers, accountants and other successful people. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a a different background in it, Mm -hmm. a different mood. Mm -hmm. So this next door neighbor is called Golda Peters and she lived there with her son, Leon. Leon Philip Peters, oldest of three children, sister was a surgeon, brother is an engineer who I think after the escapades during this case is actually retrained as a lawyer. Golda is a family lawyer. So for us, that's an unusual term. So you think divorce, child custody stuff, which is why Valerie turned to her. Father died when Leon was 13 in 1991. So working backwards, that make him about 44 today, wouldn't it? So probably born 1978, I think. He went to a private boarding schools, so far away from family. One year at one in New Orleans and three at another called Exeter in New Hampshire. These are described as very prestigious schools. He was a handful, spoilt rotten or just rotten. Is that why he got sent away to a boarding school, do you think? I have my suspicions, yours. You used to threaten me with that as a kid. If I was being a shitbag, but I'd send you off to boarding school. And I'm like, you can't afford that. I think every parent does it out of desperation. Called your bluff. I'm like, fucking do it then. Go on. (laughs) He eventually goes off to medical school to train as a doctor. I think he wanted to be a surgeon or a kidney specialist. Nephrologist, is it? Anyway, the general accepted path to that goal of becoming a doctor in the USA and remember each state has different rules the same as being a lawyer you can practice in one but not another you have to get recertified so for him after medical school you had seven to eight more steps to your first real paying job first step is internship second step is USMLE which apparently is the United States Medical Licensing Examination. It's the three-step examination program. Sounds a lot. Then you have residency. You also then have to do presentations and conferences. The fifth step would be specialty board exams, which if you were going to be a kidney surgeon, the nephrology exams. You also have to undertake extra education. Then you apply for a position and then you have to have post-training. This guy, he never completed number one step, the internship. He was still first year internship and he couldn't pass it. He was actually caught lying about patient care and I'll tell you about all of that later. And he keeps repeating the same 
cycle goes from hospital to hospital trying to complete that first year's internship. He gets married to a lady called Annie and has two children. His wife files for divorce after 11 years, citing extreme and repeated mental cruelty. He later pled guilty to attempted cyberstalking of the ex-wife. So sometimes pleading guilty to charges like that makes them go away quickly. Sometimes the charges are an attempt to paint someone in a bad light. Sometimes stuff like this just isn't true. But in Leon's case, they really were true. And it's only a drop in the ocean of his behaviour. And as I said, I watched the YouTube videos and his ex-wife actually testified at trial against him. And the stuff that she told, she was elegant, she was graceful, she was concise. And it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you hear what he did and how he behaved. So they, they're getting divorced. Leon began dating a lady called Megan Vericas, and I do name her as she's significant later. He met her at a hotel in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They eventually moved together to Houston. At this point, is he earning any money? Because he's, he's just got this internship at a hospital. Is he doing anything else? What can, can you really do anything else? I don't think you can, especially with the workload. And if he's doing it repeatedly, he's repeating the same workload. And that'd be funny, right? So when I, when I was at college and the stuff that I studied, eventually it just becomes multiple choice and you just remember the answers. You don't need to even retain the information. I know with medical school, it must be worse. But how is he repeatedly failing the same thing? Because he keeps screwing up, and I'll explain well, it, some of it is later. Is it not by virtue of not knowing the information? Is it because he keeps fucking up in other ways, like you he said, keeps by, screwing by up falsifying? In other ways. So just do that then, and you will pass. You've done the hard bit of actually having the information. You're then messing up the admin clerical stuff. Stop it. Reading between the lines with some of it, it's his personality. He's so obnoxious. He puts his training um, authority figures in the hospital's backs up so much. That they, they, they're just like, he can't be trusted to be let loose on a patient. On people. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just not right. How would it work as well with student loans? I've got no idea. But don't forget, his family is wealthy. And I believe from what his ex-wife said, she was the one that kept the family afloat for that entire 11 years they were married. What, uh, him or his mother or his parents, sorry. Right. His parents, Leon's parents are wealthy. Yeah. Even though his, his father's his, passed his away. Died, yeah. yeah. But his, Leon's ex-wife, the one he was married to for 11 years and had the two children with, she was the one that worked the entire marriage and kept them afloat, although they did have to keep going to his mother for extra funds. I'm, I'm just thinking, because of how the student loans would work and the compounded interest and all the... all the all, 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 People end up just paying the interest and actually pay off any of the total sum. I know. So is he accruing more and more student loan debt while this is happening? Because he's not earning any money, so that's why I'm struggling to see. If you read his LinkedIn profile, he seems to have created himself at some point an LLC, Limited Liability Company or whatever that is. What he was doing and selling within that, I don't know. Maybe he was selling essays or something. I don't know what he was doing to contribute towards supporting them. I know it's very secondary, but you can't help but wonder someone's financial status through this whole time or being an intern he's got these other nine steps ahead of him and he's not earning any money that's part of the reason why medical stuff is so expensive in america is because the education is so expensive that because it's uncapped essentially the medical bills skyrocket to pay for that because it can it will cost 
deep into the six figures to get qualified so they end up charging a shitload of money to to get that back Mm. so january 2017 megan leaves leon after filing assault charges against him during an argument leon assaulted her grabbed her face and split her lip He's arrested for that, and there's a copy of the charge in the show notes. Leon flooded Megan's phone with calls and text messages. He's turning up at work and threatening or intimidating her. It got that bad, she worked at a hotel, that they let her live in in the end so she wouldn't have to meet him outside. And if she did go outside, she was escorted. All the staff knew who he was, and he wasn't allowed on the premises. He was later arrested for stalking, and Megan was able to get a protective order out against him. At one point, well, initially when it first, when the relationship first imploded, Megan had gone to stay with Leon's brother, the one that was the engineer. And he, on the stand, he comes across, it comes across an absolutely lovely guy. You can't work out how these are actually related. This brother's got a wife. Um, so Megan goes off to stay with them because she had no family in Houston. She comes from Pennsylvania. They were trying to help her. But Leon was barging into the house and it ended up with Megan hiding in cupboards to get away from him. And it just became all too much for the brother's wife and they all fell out. Megan had to go to a hotel where she she worked, where she stayed. So we have obsessive behaviour again with the wife initially and now Megan. And an inability for him to accept that someone has told him no, it's not on his terms. And he'd done it before. A paralegal he'd become obsessed with, but it seemed to be reading between the lines. She got her uncle, who was also a lawyer, to talk to Leon's mother, who's a lawyer, and it all went quietly away. It's all kind of hidden underneath. So the stalking and the assault charges and that protective order for Megan was going to finally sink Leon's chance of ever getting a medical license. They just wouldn't give it to him, would they? Would you want a doctor that had those charges against him? No. No. She may have even actually thought about filing a complaint with a medical board, which would have been a double whammy, and there was no way he would ever be able to practice in the USA with that. So he moves back in with mother, who was financially supporting his entire life, as we said, as he's never actually worked. And this is where he meets her lovely new neighbour, Valerie, who's actually eight years his senior. They don't hit it off at first. She dislikes him and sees him for who he actually really is. She described him as cocky and a few other choice words. Yet he manages to charm her. And as most sociopaths are actually good at, they formed a friendship in her eyes and bonded over their shitty exes. And then that led to a romantic involvement where unfortunately Valerie seems to have fallen completely under his spell. The terminology she actually uses which was the best sex ever. But anyway, so <laughs> Cameron's looking at me. No, I, I was thinking he might be... A bad doctor, but it'd be a good plumber because that boy lays some pipe, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> so he stopped mooching off mum and mooches off Valerie next door instead. Yet... In... What, what his, what's his mother's thoughts about this? Oh, at, at, at a certain point, you, you support and you keep going for your child, but you do also understand that they're into your legs. But at the same time, if they're just having a hard time of things, sure. But if they're then actively being fucky in other places, you kind of think, eh, stop it, stop it. To the outside world, she supports him utterly. In private... Um, Is it like begrudgingly paying for him? She, like, go away, she, I'll give you money. Yeah, she's, she's not impressed with him. It's, it's quite interesting what comes out during the trial. So in the February of 2017, so literally a month after he moves in with 
Valerie, he's still trying to contact Megan, the one that from the hotel that he was stalking. He's emailing her saying, I am making over $7,500 a week now after taxes. I told you I'd get back on top. It's time all this craziness stopped and we get back together. How's he making this money? Again, it's never explained. Is it all in his head? I, I've got no idea. So the chatting about shitty exes then goes into the realms of, wouldn't it be good if neither of our exes were able to testify? And then wouldn't it be good if neither of them were ever around to bother us ever again? Valerie was worried her ex was going to get custody of her daughter. Why she was worried and what grounds he was going to get her daughter, I don't actually know. But the moving the boyfriend in with you and your young child, who's a lawyer's son, five minutes after you met him, would probably have had the daughter's back, the daughter's dad, Mac, up in arms, yeah. one would have thought. And I would have thought, again, it wouldn't have taken much for the ex-husband to find out Leon's background because he's got stalking charges from his ex-wife. He's got... Car- Even just from a safeguarding perspective. You'd, exactly. You want to know that. Exactly. You want to know the person that your then child would then be staying with. So, so Valerie's not thinking clearly, is she? She's willing to risk custody of her child for this guy she's known five minutes. But Megan's charges against Leon... Well, if he's convicted, he would struggle to get a job at the Golden Arches, wouldn't he? Like He's never going to be a doctor. And Leon decided that these conversations with Valerie was a somehow or another a definite green light to contact an old acquaintance. Were these by text or in person? A combination of both, I assume. The conversations with Valerie? About, wouldn't it be good if our exes... Well, they're living together, so I'm assuming it's pillow talk. Well... You know what I mean? I've said it before, but I'll chuck them in the bin. That, that kind of, that's the kind of thing that I'd say that if someone complains about their like friend, parent, partner, whatever, but I'll just chuck them in the bin. Yeah. So that, that's the kind of thing that I would say. Chuck them in the wood chipper, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a bit different than saying that and then actively pursuing, trying to kill someone. Well, but. this is what Leon decides to do. He goes, contacts an old acquaintance to ask them to... Could, could they recommend anybody who could perhaps help solve his problems? Or if you don't want to do it. And the, the friend said, well, actually, I know someone. Go and talk to them. It was a US Army vet named Motaz Zak Aze. So to prevent Megan from testifying against him in a stalking case, Leon paid Zach around $10,000 to make Megan stop testifying against him. Now, according to later court testimony, Leon told Zach he wanted him to kidnap Megan so he could talk to her and convince her to drop the charges. That'll do it. Yeah. That'll do it, kidnapping someone. They'll get them on, the, on your side. But if that doesn't work, Leah wanted Zach to make her disappear. He wanted her gone. So Zach did what most hitmen do. He took the money and then avoided the buyer. I mean, what's Leon going to do? He can't report him to the police or anything, can he? So Leon, being this self-entitled little shit that he is went to see a Houston city councilman who was actually also a bail bondsman and he'd posted bail in the past for Leon and Zach. And he asked him for help in finding Zach, who'd gone off the radar. He wanted him to help him find his missing hitman. This super intelligent future doctor actually told this bail bondsman, you know who Zach is? I want his number. I've already paid him to take care of this matter. I want this girl out of the picture. I don't want her to testify against me, and I've paid him a lot of money. 
the bail bondsman very sensibly goes to the police. The police find Zach and convince him to contact Leon and introduce him to a subcontractor for the job, if you will. He probably could have placed um, conspiracy charges at this point, even though he'd actually had no intention of any doing anything. But the sheer fact that he knew about this, he could have been in deep trouble. We actually end up in a situation whereby Leon and Valerie offer Zach, an undercover police officer, another $10,000 to take care of Valerie's husband, Mac. And they're all sat around a table in an olive garden restaurant when they're doing this. So the UK equivalent that probably something like Prezzo, Ask Italian Zizzies or something like that. So it's nothing fancy. At one point, this wannabe doctor suggests that at a push, they could use potassium chloride, which he could get from Valerie's veterinary clinic. But he didn't actually want to get his hands dirty by doing it. Potassium chloride has a lot of uses. It could be used as fertilizer and it's actually used in food processing. It's an E number 508. But a large dose can slow and then stop the heart. And it's sometimes used in heart surgeries. Vets do use it, but they use it for good stuff. They don't use it for putting animals down or bad stuff. So these conversations are all on tape. So, of course, the police go straight to Megan and Mac and tell them that their lives are in danger. But to stop anything happening, we need cooperation and help from you two. So what happens next has been so many done so many times. I also admit I find it really funny imagining police officers scuffling around like special effects guys sitting this all up. They probably actually did have some CSI input or else they risk getting the finer details wrong. Yes, indeed, they do do the strapping to the chairs in old warehouses and the use of pig's blood. Mac was obviously staged uh, with an apparent gunshot wound to the head and photos were taken. They needn't have actually worried about the finer details as when the undercover officer goes to Valerie's place and tries to show her and Leon the photos as proof that the hit had actually been done and taken care of with regard to Mac, they refuse to look at them. Leon is happy. I'm assuming that first 10K was then considered payment for a job done um, with Mac. And he gives the undercover officer another $1,800 as a down payment for grabbing Megan, along with two Cartier watches, which were worth a few bob, as obviously neither of them had any money at this point, I wouldn't have thought, not Leon or um, Valerie, because she's trying to pay off the ex-husband anyway. The undercover police officer, posing as his hitman later that same day, sends Leon pictures showing Megan tied up on a chair in this warehouse looking very, very upset. Her hands were zip-tied and she had tape over her mouth. Apparently, the fear was real, she said afterwards. The setting up of that scene took a long, long time and it was very cold and she was stressed out, crying, and it was 100% authentic-looking, terrified when the photos were actually taken. I'm surprised they do that. I haven't heard that they would set the scene up. To that extent. Yeah. I, I've never heard of that. And wouldn't that just cause trauma anyway? Well. I'm surprised that then the, the police force or whatever aren't then liable for something. Well, you, you would have thought that... If you make it fun, but she doesn't sound like she's having fun. No, and poor Mac, you know, having to pretend that he's actually been shot and he's covered in pig's blood to... Yeah, that is... That I don't... You've been this bit. This almost doesn't sound real. I, Definitely was. You sound like... That sounds liable for stuff, though. Mm, well, the next bit 
is what happened is actually disputed in court was was about the intent. The undercover officer called Leon and explained that Megan was refusing to back down or to leave town. And he tells Leon, if I have to kill her myself, I will. Leon said he didn't want her hurt, but if she's going to go to the cops, I just worry that this is going to come to back to bite me or not. The guy then tells her, the under, you know, the undercover officer then tells him he'd take care of it. 20 minutes later, he calls Leon back, telling him that um, Megan wouldn't cooperate and that she had to be killed. And then he goes off ostensibly to do just that. I just want to clarify the timeline at this point. Megan leaves Leon in January 2017 and all this is going down in March of 2017. So that's lightning speed, isn't it? Valerie filed for divorce in December 2014 and presumably everything had ticked along until January 2017. So two years later and this all suddenly happens the moment she meets this guy. So the early hours of the 10th of March 2017, police knock on Valerie's door to tell her that her ex was dead. Police are wearing body cameras. And again, there's footage out there of Leon offering up an alibi, which, to be honest and to be fair, I think it's it's not unusual. You would. If somebody knocked on your door and said, oh, by the way, your ex-husband's been found dead. Well, it wasn't me. I was at home watching X-Files or something. I I don't think that was unusual, but prosecution did hang up on that one a bit. But the police obviously arrest both of them on the spot and they're charged with solicitation of capital murder times two because Megan, sorry, the murder of Megan and the murder of Mac. Valerie manages to get bail and she is released on $50,000 bond. I'm assuming Leon's family had absolutely had enough of his shit or else the bomb was refused or too high as he gets to sit in jail. Valerie goes home to the condominium. Her daughter's not there as dad Mac had filed and got emergency custody and a restraining order, as you do. Valerie sits in that condo knowing she has a date to appear in court in two weeks. Her life has totally gone down the toilet eight weeks after meeting Leon. The day before that next court hearing, she sits with her iPad and records a two-hour video detailing her thoughts, what had happened and why. She then throws herself off the balcony, seven stories up. That's actually called defenestration, apparently. She blamed the police in that video, says it's entrapment. She never wanted anything to happen to Mac. I don't know if she blamed Leon, as I haven't listened to it, but I'm sure you can find it if you go looking for it. It was actually released to a local radio station. She left a note with the iPad for a friend and asked for it to be put out in the public domain. Leon wanted to go to her funeral. He wasn't even allowed out for that. I'm pretty sure none of her family would have wanted him there. and it would have very Not qu- when he's pseudo-responsible anyway. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I thought it goes to Leon's character who would have even asked to be let out for that. So Leon sat in a cell until his trial in March of 2018. I didn't watch all the trial, although most of it's been very well edited. You miss out on all the lunch breaks and such, but it's still very slow going. Constant, constant objections from the defence. His ex-wife appears for the prosecution, as I said, and she goes into extraordinary detail of the abuse she suffered from him over the years. Megan testifies, again, all going towards his abusive behaviour. 
Another woman who worked at a law firm, and I don't know if it was his mother's or what, but they, they all seemed to know each other in this community, testified that Leon had asked her if she could check out what charges were pending against him. And so, so she was also the one, she, he asked if she could help him either get Megan back or get her to leave town. And if she wouldn't leave, would this woman kidnap Megan? She's the one that refused and sent him to Zach, that first hitman that took his money and did the runner. So why didn't she report something? Exactly. Exactly. Good point. Hmm. So, of course, you have all the police and the undercover officer and all the taped evidence of the murder plot laid out before the court, along with some good old jailhouse recordings of telephone conversations. Leon talks about a reporter who he says... He thinks she wants to sleep with him. He complains she stood him up when she didn't visit him in jail. She'd actually been sent out to cover some severe flooding in the area, but his ego, it was about her standing him up. He talks to all sorts of reporters and newspeople, saying that he wants to sit in a studio and write a book when he gets out. Oh, and we'll collaborate on a TV show. And how about another news article? He talks to his mother, complaining that he was still in jail. And it goes to what you asked me, Cameron, about his mother. She actually tells him that if he'd done what she told him to do back in February, he wouldn't be in jail at all. His mother says he has a big mouth and doesn't know when to shut it, which is obvious by these bloody phone conversations. And she said that what he was charged with was worse than if he'd actually done it himself. He also tells his mother that he put two people in the hospital after being attacked in jail. It was either them or me, he said. At trial, the defence tries to refute all of that. They say he can say what he likes on a phone call. Yes, he can. But I can't even at this level of stupidity, knowing that the bloody things are recorded and they are going to play them back at trial when he's flapping his jaws. When the prosecution rests and it's the defence's turn, his lawyer actually tried to go for a dismissal of charges, then asked for probation and anger management classes. He got Leon's mother on the stand and asked her if she could commit to making Leon abide by his probation conditions if that was the outcome of the trial. The man's a grown-ass adult. How could she commit to it? Well, I don't think he is. She's had to bail him out from everything. It quite literally bail him out from stuff his whole life. She's clearly the guardian that needs to take control of stuff. If, if she didn't facilitate this or allow him to, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be in the position he's in now because he wouldn't have gotten even that far. Mm. He's mentally stuck at about 16. So it makes sense that she is essentially his guardian at this point, even though he is still a grown man and mm. like has kids and stuff. Mm. She, let's say she couldn't commit to it, but she said she'd try. I just think it's really weird I was treating this as a weird PR incident is that I want to get in a studio I want to get I want to get yeah. in a recording booth yeah like try, trying to garner empathy sympathy money fame from it I don't understand why it it's, seems like that's the initial motive in the first place well it's bizarre his lawyer also got as I said he had his younger brother on the stand and he asked him if he thought Leon would stick to probation well, his brother was honest, and he said he thought Leon would find it hard but could probably live up to these conditions. These aren't defence witnesses, are they? They're character witnesses. So, funnily enough, can't find that his sister ever went on the stand for him, and it made me wonder if he was a shit to her as well. They also dig up some audio professor 
not technically an expert witness, who wanted to play for the court enhanced audio of the police recordings. That was really weird watching that for the life of me. I couldn't work out what the point of this guy being there was. It wasn't cleaning up of the audio tapes that he'd been asked to do, you know, sort of like removing the fuzz and things like that. He was actually asked to collate them. That's the idea for this podcast, remove the background <laughs> shit and the cats meowing and stuff. Yeah. That's what I do, it's not hard. So specifically, he was asked to take those conversations that the police had recorded and to organise it, not linguistically interpret them, but instead make them, put them in a manner Create that... Create a compilation, is what he's doing. He's, he's essentially creating a compilation yeah. of, of him on the, on the phone in the prison, I assume. No, no, all the police recordings from the Olive Garden and all the rest of it when they were going to... Okay, everything, yeah. the, the information yeah. the police are then gathered so they can then use this as evidence of him being, yeah. being whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that, I, yeah I, I don't see why you'd need some weird audio professor to do that. Yeah. Anyone could kind of do it, but well, if, it, if it needs to follow some sort of duty of command or command order thing, then okay, have someone that's specialised in it, but that seems weird. Well, it was specifically according to him for the jury to understand the structure of what was said. Yeah, that's true, actually, because if you... Uh, the problem with that, though, is isn't it subject to the professor's narrative? Well, exactly. The defence team had asked him to put the recordings into topical areas of what Leon had said should happen to Megan. Mm. And the expert noted that he occasionally enhanced the audio on the recordings, removing background noise where he thought it was needed, and drew a conclusion on what the... The guy's words clearly indicated. In his report, he listed as conclusions his impressions from the words spoken in the recordings. So, as you just said, Cameron, it's his interpretation. So, they're asking this guy to give the jury his interpretation of something? What was said? That's the, the problem with stuff like bite analysts and blood spatter people i said it before it's, it's it's too open to interpretation if you have enough recordings of someone you can get them to say anything well yeah and the judge was hell no you're not bringing this stuff in i can kind of see why yeah if, if someone's a youtuber you could find anything you can find so much a lot of stuff that we've said in this and just create a narrative that you want yeah so that's what you need to have it in its entirety rather than i, I watched it i watched the videos the, of this guy and he was weird balancing the sound and stuff i can understand that because they can yeah. make it clearer but you're the one that's creating the story from that yes that's exactly. no different than what we're doing now mm. so leon gets on the stand opens himself up to cross-examination by the prosecutors i know there was two prosecutors in this case very sure this was deliberate they actually had the female prosecutor ask the questions of leon she eviscerated him Leon's attitude towards her showed the judge, and more importantly, the jury, who he really was, a complete misogynistic psychopath. According to him, he never intended for any actual murder of Megan to take place. It was all entrapment, etc. He was... You went to a hitman, fella. Yeah, he was just... So, he was. It really put you back up. His lawyer was an old Texan lawyer trope thing. He really was. Think Matlock, TV show, but not as clever. Seemed as deaf as a post too, especially when listening to Leon's former girlfriend, Megan. He seemed to lose his train of thought somewhat too. I don't know if it's bad, but when, it, when you say that, you said stereotypical like Texas. Yeah. I'm just thinking of Yosemite Sam from Looney Tunes. Yep. Big handlebar moustache, big hat, yeehaw brother. 
I, I use Matlock. Anybody that's sort of it's, my it's kind of It's discriminatory, but you know what I mean? That's yeah. what, when you say Texas, that's what I think. Or like an F-150. Yeah, that's exactly what he was. And I'm, I'm sat, sitting there watching it and thinking, I wondered if he was being deliberately vague. I've seen some very high level, very eminent barristers lead a witness on until they get to the aha moment. You know, you wait for them to pounce and you realise what they're doing and you, re- you, you know what's coming. But it never came with this guy. That is kind of the problem if, with whoever leads the question, leads the answers. If you can answer yes or no to a question, you can cr- create incriminating yeah. questions. Mm. The girlfriend, Megan, when she was answering questions from him, you could see her on the YouTube videos. She was shooting glances at the prosecution. And she was, honestly, her eyes spoke volumes. She was really screaming at them. What the actual F is he asking me here? It was bizarre. Because isn't that the kind of thing they'd go through with her? That these are the questions they're going to ask and these are the answers that you should have? Yes, but it was the fact it was the defence asking her questions that actually when you heard them, you were like, what's he asking? And you could see her answering him. Oh, oh, in the sense of I don't get the question? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant, oh, fuck, I didn't expect this. No, no, it was like, what? why is he asking this? Then I found out who this guy actually was. He's a lawyer called George Parnham. And apparently he's a famous defence attorney, one of the best, which, according to what I read, he probably should have actually retired about 10, 15 years ago. He represented Andrea Yates and is still her attorney, amongst many other famous cases. Now, I know Cameron has no clue who Andrea Yates is. I was going to ask. I have no idea who that is. I know a lot of our listeners actually will. She was uh, a mother... She had five children with her husband, Rusty. They became, they were fundamentally religious. They ended up giving up their house and going living in a RV and following uh, a preacher around the state where they lived. The husband, I believed, worked at NASA or somewhere like that. She. And his name was Rusty? Yes, his name was Rusty. I'm sure it wasn't NASCAR? No. He was dead, okay. He was, he was highly intelligent, but they developed this fixation on this preacher. The problem was Andrea had suffered with postnatal depression and they didn't believe in treatment for it or the treatment stopped very quickly. Then she had another child very quickly and she developed postnatal psychosis. Again, they didn't want the treatment for it, but she got it. And they, she was told, do not have any more children. Rusty was told, do not have any more children. It is going to turn out badly if you do. But no, because of the fundamental religion that they're believing in, they had five children. They're in an RV. She doesn't even have a normal house. They were homeschooling these children. That's what I mean. You're saying it's uh, it's NASA. I don't think it is. Because they're fundamentally Christian. They don't believe in... Or fundamentally religious. They don't believe in space or gravity. Uh, No, this preacher was one of these offshoots. He was his own little church. It was quite odd. What happened was Andrea killed all five children very quickly. She drowned all of them. She should, I believe, personally, I know there are going to be people that don't agree with me, I believe she should have gotten an insanity defence and should have been sent to a mental facility for life, but she was convicted and she's gone to prison for life. Rusty very quickly divorced and moved on, got remarried and has got another handful of children again, so shows where his priorities lay. But this guy, if he defended Andrea Yates and is still her attorney, to me, no. Lots of commentators on the YouTube videos thought he was so good and so legendary, they thought that the reason that he hadn't gotten Leon off with this was 
the problem was that Leon had been dishonest with him. So many times during the trial, you could see that George Parnham was expecting different answers from witnesses he was questioning. Now, to me, that says he was either lied to by Leon or didn't really research the prosecution's case properly. He didn't seem to... He'd ask questions that were going nowhere because he didn't ask a follow-up question to it. When the answer came, he either didn't hear it or didn't understand it or didn't see its relevance or you didn't see its relevance. That probation and anger management angle for the trial outcome never really stood a chance. And Leon's found guilty. On the 27th of March, 2018... How long after... Valerie's death was he sentenced? She died. Roughly. Well, the the trial was over a year later. Okay, yeah, yeah. true. You got the padding of the trial. Yeah. yeah. So he was sentenced to life in prison, which in Texas is ninety nine years, and he is ineligible for parole for thirty years. And he also got slapped with a ten thousand dollar fine, which kind of meaningless, isn't it? I'm not really sure about that one. So remember me saying why Leon would never qualify. Uh, was never going to be a doctor with or without Megan filing a complaint. It's documented publicly that he poked a hole in the intestine of a patient while the surgical instructor was saying, no, don't. Too late. He was never close to ever being a doctor. He was ham-fisted. Cameron's face. <laughs> I, am, I am actually pulling a face. <laughs> How the fuck do you poke a hole in someone's intestine? But, oh, yeah. And. <laughs> I'm really careful with stuff. If I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to be really careful, especially when it's on the insides of someone, which should be on the inside. I don't, I don't understand. Okay. In, in my head, it's it's like it's like a kid where it's like, don't touch it. The plate's hot. Yes. You're lying, and then you hit the plate, and it's hot. Yes. Don't poke the hole in the intestine. Stop it, and then he does it. Yes. It's his ego. He's he's. Brilliant. But why? Because if you if you think, oh yes, this is going to help him for this, <laughs> but I don't understand why you're gonna why you're gonna finger someone's intestine and put a hole in it. <laughs> so there was oh. There were violent threats to his ex-wife, Annie, over the divorce. He's actually on tape saying he would chop his ex-father-in-law's bits off and shove it down the ex-mother-in-law's throat. So he's not adverse to issuing violent threats. I, I, just because your doctor doesn't mean you're not allowed to have emotions and be annoyed at stuff, sure. But your other mm. actions, do you know what I mean? You should have appropriate responses to stuff. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Leon was an inpatient in a mental health facility at one point, and that's missed from all the reporting. I think the reason the prosecution didn't bring it up at trial, and his mother nimbly skirted around all of that when she testified, was the possibility we'd try and use it as defence, diminished responsibility type of thing. But, as he's a racing psychopath and a narcissist, there's no way in heck he would actually probably allow his defence to use that. It's when he's married to his wife and living in Pittsburgh... His wife called Leon's mother and said he was suicidal and out of control and come and get him. His mother flies up to Pittsburgh with his brother and his sister and took him back to Houston. And he was in this patient facility for about two months. The diagnosis was bipolar with borderline personality disorder and he was put on lithium. I'm going to speak briefly about... Uh, lithium. Mm. So, as far as I understand, it's a mood stabilizer. It strengthens the nerve cell connections in the brain. I knew you were going to the scientific yeah. side of it. I've got slightly There's, different information. The, but, the big yeah. three parts are adrenergic signaling, dopaminergic, and serotonergic signaling. And there's 
there's stuff with um, neuroadrenaline and neuropinephrine, and one of them needs dopamine as well to connect, connect, make better signals. That's what neurotransmitters are. Neuro, neurotransmitters are they just sort of like help the signal between neurons and stuff. And I think lithium increases the connection between certain. Signals. And there you have it, listeners. You see, Cameron glazes over when I talk about serial killers. I just completely glazed over all those chemical names. Go, yeah, it's what? The, the, yeah, <laughs> basically. So it, it just helps stabilize someone's brain by helps help strengthen certain signals that can be fired. Well, you'd hope so, but this stuff is really hardcore in the UK. It really is the drug of last resort. It's. Something... I looked up the side effects for it, and they're like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, muscle weakness, uh, fatigue, tremors. And you want to be a surgeon, fella? Well, you looked up the end result. I looked up what happens beforehand. It's that bad, this drug, that you get a booklet or a folder, and it's purple, apparently. So if you see one of these in anybody's handbag or, you, or briefcase, watch out. Every time you see anyone medical, you have to show that, even when you collect a prescription. They check bloods regularly. Initially, it's actually weekly. And they monitor your weight very closely. It's it's really serious stuff. When you look on the NHS website, there's a lot of red boxes saying call 999 or go to A&E if you get this symptom. And there are a lot of yellow warning boxes. It's set off all sorts of alarm bells. There are also maybe a few outlandish theories flying about over Leon's dad's death. I'm going to share them with anything's possible, I think. The story is that Golda, the mother, had taken the other children to school, which was about 30 minutes drive away. Leon was home as he had a cold. When Golda gets back from the school run... All the emergency services were there trying to resuscitate the dad. To this day, she has no idea the timeline of what happened. How long after her leaving did he collapse? Did Leon do CPR? Apparently he did, but how long did he do it for? We don't even know if he did do it. And maybe, just maybe, he had something to do with his father's collapse. Got no way of knowing if that's true. They're just throwing it out there. I've seen some of the, you know, ideas. One thing I didn't mention about Valerie's parents at the beginning, they are just as problematical as all the rest of them. Maybe there's something in the water there. Carol, the psychologist, pled guilty to tampering with mental health evaluations for police officer candidates. A problem that left more than a dozen police agencies in the Houston area scrambling to retest officers to ensure they were fit for duty. Husband, Don, was also mixed up in it as they practised together. They eventually reached an agreement with the prosecutors and got 10 years probation, had to relinquish their professional licences and retire from their practice. But we are not finished. Of course, Leon has tried to appeal. 29th of August 2019 wants a new trial on the grounds that, wait for it, in the initial indictment, they used his initials LPJ. Yet at trial, they used his full name. His brief tried to claim that it was known as a material variance saying they were not the same thing, using initials and using the same name. He also tried to get the evidence from that audiology expert reintroduced. 
That got slapped down in a delicious way. The court said it does not take an acoustics expert to listen to the recordings. An average person can do so. While it might take time and effort to collate the statements from recordings into topical areas, the task does not require an audiologist or an expert in acoustics. No evidence suggests that it does, and the court does not abuse its discretion in excluding that evidence. And a final point was that he complained that the lowest sentence of five years and a $10,000 fine was described by the prosecutors as meaningless in one hearing. And no, it wasn't meaningless and take it back or that, all that sort of rubbish. The whole appeal was a complete and utter waste of time. The initial point about the variance where they used his initials and then used his full name as a legal argument, the court took a lot of effort in refuting that. And it boiled down to they didn't get his initials wrong. So, no, there's no appeal on those grounds either. And so Leon still sits in jail. And as of two years ago, that was Mac Stringfellow Unit, which is a Texas Department of Criminal Justice prison located in Rosharon, Texas. Leon will be eligible for parole in 2047. Do you consider Valerie a victim in this? Because I do. I feel like she's she's been dragged along and coerced, almost entrapped by him. In eight weeks, she went from, ah, oh, my ex-partner's a bit of a dick, to, yeah, let's kill him. I do. Yeah, I do. I know a lot of people don't believe that she was a victim, but I think she was. She fell into this guy's web. There's no other way to describe him. He's been a horrible piece of work his entire life. His mothers and his families have enabled him. They've covered up for him. They've financed him for years. It's... Yeah, she was a victim. I believe she was. So while she's not the victim that shall be remembered, I consider her one. Yeah. So that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe Monday Podcast, and you can like, favorite, subscribe to the good stuff, leave reviews, tell me good things. All the good stuff, please. Give me a fuzzy heart. <laughs> right. So we'll see you next time. Much love, peace. Bye.